0: The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. This Sunday we are right in the middle, halfway through a brief three-week sermon series on the theological vision of this church. Now that that word theological vision might not make a lot of sense. And so I'll explain it. If you go on uh, the website for The Refuge Church, therefugechurch.us, you can uh, read our statement of faith. And for most evangelical churches, they're gonna share a very similar statement of faith, statements about what we think about the Bible, being our, our guide, our standard for faith and conduct, and you're going to read statements about uh, what it means for us to find salvation in Jesus alone. You're going to find statements, even all the way to the very end, about what we think will happen at the very end of time when this world, this world ends. And the new one begins, and, and, and what it will be like to meet with Jesus. And, and so, all these things that, that, though they're like these big ideas, these things as you read the, the scripture, and we kind of want to consolidate what we believe, oftentimes we can end that and go, okay, now what does this look like? And so, we wrote this theological vision for the Refuge Church to say, this is um, with this theology. This is our vision of how this works out uh, in the world we live in, in our lives day to day. And so the theological vision is this, and it's at the very end of every gathering, we have a small benediction that, that summarizes it, but it's this, that we are a church of the city, incarnating King Jesus in city life, speaking its language, singing its rhythms, sharing its spaces, freeing the oppressed, fighting injustice, fighting, finding people of peace, and inviting the city into the kingdom of God. That is our theological vision. And so we want to start this year talking about what exactly that means. And so last week, Jake talked about what God incarnate means. So we say, we want to be a church of the city incarnating King Jesus in city life. And so we just wanted to start by saying, what does it look like for God himself to be incarnate? For God to take on flesh and live among us. And so we looked at John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so, so Jake kind of painted this big picture story about before before time began, God was and then then everything began because God spoke, and it's this masterful poem there that starts John one, bringing together sort of every people group saying, you know what the Jews believed that that God created everything this this God they believe the word came and lived among us and but he's he's really impressive how he writes because the word there, for word, logos, is also taking the, the uh, Greek philosophical tradition of the logos, this energy, this thing that holds everything together. He goes, even what the Gentiles thought we needed, this is really Jesus. What, what they knew, there was a power, there was an authority that kind of held everything together and created everything. That is Jesus and then that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. Full of grace and truth. We have met him. Now, we want to move from that God incarnate to this. this today, we're going to look at what is a church incarnate look like. So, 1 John 2, 6 says this. This is a... a verse that rocked my world in high school. It simply says this, if we claim to know him, if we claim to know Jesus, we must walk as he did. Seems pretty simple, right? Want to know who God is? He showed us himself in the person of Jesus who lived among us, walked among us. When we ask any question like, what is God like? We see Jesus and we see what he is like and so we have this model in Jesus and he says, now that you've seen him, He said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. You want to know the Father's heart, look at what I do. And he goes, now, if we claim to know him, then we must walk as he did. So, that's not so simple, right? (laughs) Though it's said so simply. So, let me put it this way. Since before the creation of the world, the plan of God was to bring salvation through coming himself living among us, dying for us, rising from the dead, conquering sin. That was his plan before the creation of the world. In Revelation, when we get this picture of heaven, and it says, look, the lamb that was slain before the creation of the world. That was his plan. Now, let's compare that to our plans, right? What's your big plan for 2019? Well, it might be to get debt-free, buy a house, get a dog. I don't, you know, when, when we make our plans... Before the foundation of 2019, what was your plan? You know, and, and what, what our plan often is, I mean, I want you to think of God's big plan had to do with your salvation. And, and what are our big plans? And, and rarely do they have anything to do with, with, I want in 2019 to bring salvation that God before the foundation of the world planned to do, in 2019, that's what I want to do. I want to, as many people as I can, tell the message of the gospel to, because I know that for all time, God was centered on coming to bring us the message of salvation. And so, what am I going to do? One 365 days? That's what I want to do. And so, all these other things are great. Buying a house, getting out of debt, you know, getting fit. Going to the gym once every month, you know all those you know whatever your big goal is that are you planning to fulfill the plan of God or your own plan um, for the last couple of years i've i 've tried in the, just the first couple of months to read a book that I've found very helpful and it 's interesting because um I, I used to make fun of it, and then I started reading it, and I realized it was good. And it was The Purpose Driven Life, this book that, it, you know, I, I'm such a millennial, it was, like it was popular, so I thought it was dumb, but it, it's really great. And, and this is the way it starts, simply this. It says, it is not about you. Amen. A, lot of, a lot of kudos going on over here. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It is far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. So you were not created just for this personal ambition or personal mission, but but you were created for God and for his glory. Um, and I'll say you've been redeemed for that. Because for many of us, we know that we have we have um, given our allegiance to another, but then in 1 Corinthians 6 20 it says this. Don't you know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought with the price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is amazing. You're not your own anymore. You are his. And so what does this look like? That God would be incarnate, and now what does it look like for us, for our lives not to be our own, but our lives to be his? What practically does that look like? And so that's this kind of transition we have in our theological vision to say uh, what it looks like for us in incarnating King Jesus is speaking the language of the city, singing the, the rhythms of the city, sharing spaces with the people in our community, to fight injustice, to free the oppressed, to find people of peace that 's what it looks like practically for us to do um, so we're we 're going to jump into um, how this played out in the life of Paul. Now Paul was an interesting guy because uh, we, we get to see him travel. he was so changed when he met Jesus that he just he wanted everyone who'd never heard about it to hear about it and so he goes man if, if people have heard about it I'm going to go somewhere else because I just I want so many people to hear about this and so he traveled all over the the um, kind of uh, European world at the time and, and just told as many people as he possibly could and um, and so he explained why here in first Corinthians 9 and so um, I just want to read this with you and we're going we're going kind of pull it apart piece by piece and see what he he meant he says though i am free and belong to no one i have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible so this is the first verse is just paul's ambition i'm free i belong to nobody right He because no one can disclaim me and say you're mine." No. He said, I have made myself, though, a slave to everyone for this purpose, to win as many people as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having law, I become like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become a weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. So we're gonna look at uh, two things really quick. And and the first is just the three different groups that, that Paul kind of breaks down when he thinks about all these people that he is serving, that he's chosen to serve, because of himself being transformed by the gospel. And then, and then the, the uh, second, two, uh, then we're gonna look at two sort of, called it reasons, but they're more like strategies that, that, that Paul is using. But the three groups are, are really important because I think even in our lives, the, the people that we know, the people around us, kind of break into these three groups too in some way. So the three groups for Paul was the Jews, then the Gentiles are those not under the law, and then those who are weak. And what he means by this first is the Jews were people, and this was the group that once defined Paul. And you can probably think about this in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus now, there's probably, before you became a follower of Jesus, there was probably a group that you identified most with, right? Whether by ethnicity, Uh, by the culture you grew up in, the place you grew up in, just the people that you were around. Those were the people that once defined you. Remember, it says, but your life's been redeemed. It's been bought with the price by the, the blood of Jesus, by his sacrifice for you. Now you're no longer defined by primarily by your ethnicity, culture, the place you grew up in. Those no longer are you essentially, essentially who you are as a child of God. Those things can be cool, exciting, be the way you dress and the way you talk, but that is no longer you. More than anything, you're a child of God, not just for the present, but for all eternity, right? Um, but, but I want you to think back, what was that, that thing or those people that most defined you? And for, for Paul, that was the Jews. And it's interesting because now he says, now I have to become like them again. I have, to, I have to learn how to communicate to them because he's been so transformed. He's not talking like that anymore, right? That's not primarily his identity anymore. He's now defined by the gospel. What's your group? I want you to think about that. What was your group, okay? Okay. That was the Jews for Paul. The second is these uh, Gentiles, those not having the law. He said, I'm becoming like one not having law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. There is people that once because who you were, you just didn't relate to. Maybe it's because you didn't think they were cool, or they just lived on the other side of the tracks, or they didn't dress like you, or maybe even you didn't like them. They were your enemies. Maybe you were racist, I don't know. Maybe there was something about you that you just, there was something about them that you just thought was wrong or off or whatever. And, and now, because you've been transformed, you're under a new authority, which is the authority of God who's inviting all people to come to himself, right? Just saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And so you're learning to speak to them now. You're learning to care for them and you're learning to love the person who formerly was the other, And all of us have those people who we just don't get along with, right? And you maybe don't realize it until you're around them and then you're just kind of shut down or you're cold or you just, and you make up reasons in your mind where like we're just not like one another. (laughs) But for those people, Paul's like, I'm actually, I want to serve them. I want to serve them by becoming like them in, in some way. And we're going to talk more what that means The third group, which is is really interesting, is those who are, are weak. And this is described in the chapter before. And what he's talking about is he says, we are free as followers of Jesus. We are completely free. But he goes, but some people who, even though they have that freedom, still um, see themselves as being vulnerable in ways they maybe aren't. So we use the example of food sacrifice to idols. Now, this is not something probably that, that you've ever thought of. Like, someone was like, here's a McDonald's hamburger, and you're like, was this sacrifice to an idol first? You know, like, but, bef- but in that time, there was, there was food that would be bought in the market or food actually would be offered up, and then they'd have meals around that food. And he says, as a follower of Jesus, I can eat that and it does, it's not going to do anything to me. It's not like this voodoo is going like, to like infect me. But he goes, but there's some Christians who doing that, they are sinning because they see that as having power. You get that? And so what he's talking about here is, I want to, for those who are my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to be sensitive to the things that will make them stumble. Right? I'm not going to use my freedom in such a way. And it could be something as simple as like, I realize that there might be a brother or sister like every once in a while like going out and having a, a drink with a friend. There might be a brother or sister who that would be, that would be a stumbling block for either because they've, they've had trouble with alcoholism or they just see that still as being a sin. And so I'm, I'm going to be careful, right? I'm not going to use my freedom as a way of just rolling over people and being, I'm free, Right? And so I want you to think about that in your life. Maybe you're experiencing freedom in your life in a way that you still need to be sensitive to the brother or sister who isn't understanding um, the way freedom interacts with something specific in life. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so so for you, what are these three groups that, that you're not charging in and being like, I'm freeing Jesus. Now you gotta get me. Right, I'm serving them by this, and there's two ways he, he wants us to do this. The first is to, uh, he says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. That's a, that's a lot of alls, okay? That's three alls. So I really think he means all, but, but this seems dangerous. All things... To all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. And so the reason he's giving here is, by, is so that some might be saved, but the, the word I really want to focus on is this word means. Because the big question of today is are you making sense? Are you making sense to these three groups? Are you making sense to the people that you want that were once your group? Are you making sense to those people who, who f- would see you as an enemy or other than your life who are followers of Jesus and you, you still need to figure out how to communicate with them? Are you making sense to them? And, and the big idea is this, and this is really important, that our means change by all means possible. Our means change, but the meaning doesn't. And this is really important. The means change, but the meaning doesn't. Because he's trying to find all possible means, but he's not compromising what he believes. The meaning, which is this, that some might be saved, that some might see the truth in the gospel. And then he goes, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. So the meaning isn't changing, but his means do. What this looks like is, um, I'm... Started the year listening to a book on audio uh, called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Great book. I know most of you were like, I listened to that 50 years ago. Uh, it's it's a book that was written a while ago, but it's still great. The fifth habit is this, and I think this encapsulates what Paul's getting at here. And and the fifth habit is this. It is seek to understand before being understood right you must first understand then be understood and that is what Paul is doing here what he's saying by all means I I want to interact with others by all possible means so they get that I'm getting them and so when I'm responding to them I'm not just like I'm not just speaking over them. And the way that looks like, there's there's a cultural humility in this. And I want you, I know I'm saying a lot of words, I just want you to try to follow me here. This cultural humility where where the by all possible means means I want to communicate so clearly and sensitively that I really am understood. And we know how this goes wrong, right? So you, you go to another culture. So you, you go down to South America and you're in Brazil and they're speaking Portuguese and, and you want to buy a delicious loaf of bread, but you don't know how to buy that in Portuguese. And so you are, you're like trying to communicate. And you start out really sweet, right? And you're like, so you're going to talk really slow. I would like your bread to eat. And, and they're going to be like, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to pretend like I'm speaking for cheese. I'd be very insensitive. Okay. <laughs> but they're going to tell you, I have no clue what you're saying. And then you're going you're gonna to try it again. You're going to be like, I am starving. I haven't eaten in three days and i need your bread and they're going to be like i don't know what you're talking about and, and and so then you're going to get louder thinking i am really going to get this across you know and you i'm going to press it and we're going to communicate and and what happens there is is there's no understanding and and this is this is what paul's saying i i am going to become all things to all people so I might save, so some might actually understand. I'm not just going to be like, you, you know, use maybe words, Christianese words that they're not understanding. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out of my way to like actually try to communicate in a way that's understanding because I'm actually, I, I know what they're thinking because I've taken the time to understand them. Right, There are cultural barriers to people hearing and understanding the gospel. There are spiritual barriers, absolutely. There's cultural barriers too. And you need to realize that you're communicating from your culture. And so that's when we say speaking its language, seeing its rhythms, we, we, we don't want to just establish ourselves in these cultural places and, and talk louder and just be like, they just don't get it. They're just hard, right? And sometimes there is that. But by all means possible, let us try to humbly communicate, humbly understand, and then communicate in a way that's actually maybe gonna be understood. And so we really wanna work hard at that. And 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 Paul did. And so he goes to Corinth, the city full of idolatry. And he's communicating with an understanding of, of what might be a bridge to the gospel with ways they're already understanding the world. And so are we looking for bridges, ways they're understanding the world, and then maybe communicating in a way that we've never really communicated before because we're learning how. Okay, and so the means are changing, but then the meaning doesn't. And that's what you get here in the, the last verse. I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. What does he mean here by for the sake of the gospel? And and I actually looked up the word. I do this all the time. Google define sake. Because I was like, I've used this word before, but what's a sake? Have you ever thought that before? What's a sake? Have you ever looked at a word so many times you're like sake sake And then the more you say it, the more it confuses you. Totally where I was at. So I (laughs) defined it. And uh, then Google defined it for me. And it simply means for the the purpose of, right? I do everything for the purpose of the gospel. So what's the gospel's purpose? And I'm going to, I'm in my own life going to act in a way that fulfills that purpose, Right? And so what that looks like, if you do something for your own sake, you're going to do something that fulfills your own purpose. And so what Paul's doing is, I'm doing everything in such a way to fulfill the purpose of the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God invaded. He had a rescue mission, and he invaded the earth in the person of Jesus Christ, and he lived among us, showing himself who the Father is, And inviting us to be in relationship with him, knowing that he would die. And so by his death, we could be forgiven and restored to relationship with him. Okay, that's the gospel. It's good news. And so Paul's saying, I'm going to do everything for that purpose. No longer for for my little purposes, but for that purpose. And you get this throughout all all his letters. Philippians 3 is this beautifully. He's like, "All, all things that I considered... As gain, I now consider loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, right? I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. That is now what his life looks like and that he might share in its blessings. And this was an interesting way to say it. It sounds like if you aren't doing all this for the sake of the gospel, you're going to miss out on some blessings. And I I think that's true. If we aren't participating in the purpose of God, and we're living for our own purposes, we're going to miss out on all he's offering. We will. The, the joy of the Christian isn't found in fulfilling your own little meaning that you brought into this relationship with God, but it's being fully invested in what God's doing, and then the joy that comes from that. If in 2019, you're like, oh, man, I, I I'm going to make it my ambition to serve as many people as possible so I can win as many people as possible. And so, so that you see how that would change the way you live this year? If your goal is to incarnate God and not just incarnate your own purposes. You live differently that way. So the way it works out here is this. We were once slaves to sin. Now we are saved from sin because of Jesus, but then for the sake of salvation of all people, we make ourselves slaves to other people. Right? We're going to do things we wouldn't normally do, but then what that results in is that we share in its blessing. And that's what we hear from Jesus. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's what it looked like for him, and that's what he's inviting us into also. So the question is, what does this look like? And I think the best example of this I could possibly think of is Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman was a slave in the South who who experienced freedom. Freedom. No longer having a a cruel master. But instead of just living in that freedom, 13 times took trips to the South so she could help rescue 70 people. Now this is the interesting thing. Do you think those 70 people could have escaped Without Harriet Tubman, possibly. But would they have known what that freedom meant and what it looked like? And, and to follow her to freedom. And so that's what it looks like for us. Literally, like Harriet, we've experienced freedom and we go back making ourselves slaves to all people, communicating to people who once were our group, and we're showing them the way to freedom. And, and we're participating in this together, right? There's this underground railroad. They take stops at houses and live. It. And there are these beautiful relationships. Former slaves and, and people along the way who were, who were letting them experience what a free place could look like. What if our houses were like that? That when you are, are reaching out to somebody who's not living free yet and you take them over to your friend's house and in that dynamic, you're experiencing what freedom looks like. That's a beautiful thing, right? So this is what we mean as we see God incarnate and now we're a church incarnate, to be a church of the city. We want to be actively making ourselves available, serving our community in different ways. And this is gonna take us making a plan, an incarnate plan. It's not just going to happen in 2019, right? It will take us thinking, how am I a part of my community or they're part of the lives of people around us? See, I think for some of us, the biggest goal in life is a garage. And what I mean by that is our goal in life is that we have the world that's scary, we work and it's exhausting and then we drive in a garage, leave it all behind us and then we're home. Right, And, and I, that can sound safe and awesome, right? Like all of a sudden the, the garage door closed behind us and we're like, Whew. But with that freedom, what would it look like to then, in that safety you have, make a plan to go back out that door and make friends with your neighbor, <laughs> spend time with those who are homeless, Right, the, the, one of the churches in the book of Galatians, Paul was talking about the church and he said, they pled with me to remember the poor. And he said, that's exactly what I wanted to do. Right, that's incarnate living, thinking, thinking strategically about how we can care for and serve those around us for the sake of the gospel that we might in 2019 win as many as possible and they can experience the freedom that's found only in Jesus. So my challenge for you is to make an incarnate plan for this year. Let's do it. Pray with me. Father, I just personally confess the ways that I have sought just safety more than serving. and and Sometimes that's because I don't trust that you will take care of all my needs, I try to take care of them myself, God I pray that we will consider so much the decision you made to come yourself and your invitation to join you in that incarnate living, to live with people and among people. I pray that the gospel news will be so exciting for us again. I want to share it. Be excited to share it. I pray that this church will just so enjoy the freedom that we found in you. Love the confidence to to go and share it with others. I praise in Jesus' name, amen.